look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Basil Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. We've got a good show today. Yeah, we, you know, we do. Um, as you get older, I think people intuitively understand there are some changes that take place. But, you know, I don't think most people have thought through or understand truly what the cost of aging is. Right? As those changes come up, whether they're physical changes or mental changes or family changes, what's the true cost of all that? Yeah, so as you age, what's the true cost? And we're talking about money too. Yep. You know, what can money do for you? We want to make sure we talk about um, it's not just the investments and the savings and the growth of your portfolio, but what can that money do for you? We're going to have a great conversation about that and today. Um, oh, should there be more protection for RSPs? Right. I think there's a big concern out there, and so we've got to bring in our expert about this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a legal matter. There's a case that came out of Halifax. Let's talk about this right now. All right. So should there be more protections for your RSPs? Let's get right to it. Yeah, we've got Jennifer Lamb here, partner with Cars Callen. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So let's let's kind of talk about the, the, the case. It's on its own. It's out of Halifax. And then let's kind of link it back to, to Alberta and the, the potential impacts or similarities that could happen to somebody here in Alberta. Absolutely. So this case was fascinating because, uh, first of all, the, the deceased, the gentleman was suddenly diagnosed with cancer at the age of 50 had a wife um, very happily married as as I can understand it and a 13 year old daughter and following his death it came to know uh, be known that his RRSP that was worth approximately $685,000 actually didn't name his wife or his daughter uh, as beneficiaries and in fact I understand named his mother and so obviously there was a, a real panic that was setting in with this family because of course she's now a single mother raising her daughter and she had always thought that her husband would provide for her and vice versa and they even had wills uh, together his will designated that all of his assets should go to his wife his wife understandably so in a happy marriage or or common law partnership and so what ended up occurring was a dispute whereby she tried to get those RRSP funds as the married spouse, and there is no legislation in Halifax that would allow that to happen. So very similar to Alberta, um, an RRSP designation does not automatically go to a spouse, unlike a pension. Uh, A pension, there's an automatic spousal rollover. Um, You cannot name someone other than a spouse, as I understand it, but with an RRSP, it's very, very different. And so, with respect to the points that you made at the at the outset, you need to make sure that you're you're reviewing your designations very carefully because there isn't a default that um, that it will go to your estate or it will go to your spouse. You have to be fastidious in reviewing what those plans and policies require for a valid beneficiary designation. So in this case, and let's also tie it back to Alberta. Did the wife take this to court? Was there legal representation? And can can that actually happen in Alberta? 
Great question, Faisal. So as I understand it, and the, her lawyer was quoted heavily in a, C, uh, in a CBC article, um, there isn't, isn't a reported decision that I could find um, because I, as I understand it, the case was in fact settled outside of court. So it's likely that proceedings began, but there was no reported decision on this issue. So uh, another really critical point that I want to tie back to the importance of our Alberta clients is you can revoke a beneficiary designation in a will, but the problem is that will has to be executed after the RRSP designation. So let's say in this, in the Halifax case, or any case in Alberta, um, a, a deceased uh, designates a beneficiary of an RSP to um, their best friend and then they later um, make a new will that revokes all previous beneficiary designations and names the estate or names someone different. So that would have the effect of revoking any prior designations but if in, in the case it, with the Halifax gentleman his will was as I understand it predated the beneficiary designation that named his mother. And so it also leads to some interesting family dynamics because you would think um, once the mother learned that she was the beneficiary of $658,000 and of which the estate pays the taxes on that R on, on when you cash out the RSP, the estate pays the tax, it would be curious that this mother wouldn't have just given her daughter-in-law and her granddaughter all of the funds. So clearly there was what, what I could interpret from the article was that there was obviously very challenging family dynamics going on there and that isn't unusual. Um, in fact, it's more common than not that we always see family members not getting along as well as one would hope. Um, so again, I think this just really highlights the importance for our clients to carefully review who is named under what instrument or plan because there just is not an automatic right for a spouse or a child to receive those funds. And I'm sure every financial institution and organization will be different in terms of what they require for a valid designation. So once again, just review, review, review. Jennifer, can I go back to the, the point that you made that in, in Alberta, if the will is uh, updated or prepared after the designation of beneficiary on, let's say, the RSP, then the will will take priority over the document on the RSP. Did I, did I hear that correctly? You absolutely did. Now, the question I have about the document for RSP designation, and I'll tell you what happens in our industry. Mm -hmm. In our industry, we have to update what's called know your client documentation at least every three years. Some of us do it almost every year. So we're updating the document, which means the beneficiary is being updated on a regular basis. Most people don't change or update their wills every one or three years, right. which would take precedence in that case. And what I mean is if we updated, if I updated Dave's documents just because there's a change in his account, which means we've updated the beneficiary, even though the beneficiary name is the same. Follow where I'm going with this? I do. But the will said they revoke. What would you think the courts would look at? Because I just updated Dave's documents, but the will says it revokes even though we didn't change the beneficiary. So that is a fascinating problem, actually, because does that mean then, and, and in a classic, uh, as a classic move, 
uh, that lawyers make, the answer is maybe, maybe, maybe not, because of the <laughs> fact that if the date on the beneficiary designation automatically gets updated, then that would that would presumably mean that it's later in time than the will, and therefore it's the beneficiary designation that that takes priority, not the not whoever whomever is named in the will. So that is again, um, I haven't ever come across that before, but that is a great point to bear in mind with, with how industry practices go in terms of updating those beneficiary designations. Now we have about a minute left yeah. to go before we have to go to break, but is the beneficiary designation and wills or the conflict between those two, is that um, something that's really litigated in the courts? Does it get to the courts or is there usually a settlement outside of court on that stuff? Um, I have to say there's, there's a lot of interesting cases on this issue um, and the Alberta uh, legislation that applies is the Wills and Succession Act and it's section 71 that exact speaks to this tension between beneficiary designations, what's a valid revocation and how a will can impact um, beneficiary designations. There are a lot of reported decisions on it. Um, I must say I, the Halifax scenario was so interesting because they were act, asking for greater protections for RRSPs. And I don't see us in Alberta going that far from a legislative standpoint. I think it's still the onus is still borne by individuals to make sure that they're have, making their plans and affairs um, reflective of their wishes. So I think we're a long way off from, from getting legislation that would change this scenario. Um, and the cases are, are really interesting on what, what can trump. Is it the designation or is it the will? Um, and fortunately for this, this family in Halifax, it sounds like it all worked out, but I think it was a few fairly stressful years using lawyers in the legal process before eventually achieving a settlement. Jennifer, no disrespect, but anytime a lawyer says it's an interesting case, um, that doesn't <laughs> usually mean good stuff for the, for the people on the other end. Nobody wants to be an interesting case in the court of law. Here's what I suggest for our viewers and listeners of this segment here is, if you need a legal opinion, if you need some legal advice, or if you need someone to talk to about what your rights are uh, in these types of estate planning situation, reach out to us. We will connect you with Jennifer and her team. Uh, they're, they're one of our go-tos uh, we, uh, we use for, uh, to help our clients. So I would definitely recommend that if you are, are looking at any kind of concerns or issue that you do get legal advice, and Jennifer is one of many who can definitely help out. So come back to our website, go to morethanmoneyradio.com, reach out and say, I need some estate planning, legal advice, and we'll connect you with Jennifer. Jennifer, I wanna thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm looking forward to our little recap of what we learned today and what we're gonna give some tips to our, our, our listeners about what, what, what they can do to prevent issues like what happened in Halifax. Thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Well, thank you, Dave and Faisal. It's always a pleasure. Um, looking forward to uh, seeing you again soon. Thanks again. That was a fascinating piece that we just completed with Jennifer. And it raises some really interesting complexities. That, that case on the Halifax woman, nobody wants that outcome. That is a horrible, stressful, bad outcome. Uh, but what it does is it, and you asked a really insightful question of Jennifer about updating the documents. And, and I think the point that, that, and we'll talk a little bit about this, is there's a whole bunch of different kinds of law. Right? There's tax law, which is different from a state law, which is different from all, you know, it's just all different. And in many cases, they compete against each other. And that's what creates these interesting cases for lawyers. Nobody wants to be an interesting case, right? So 
Let's talk a little bit about what people should be doing as a, as a normal process uh, uh, to make sure this thing doesn't ever happen to them. So one thing that, that most people do is deal with their matters of a financial uh, situation in silos. When they Good look point. at their estate plan, they speak to a legal representative and that's it. When they speak about their tax situation, silo to your tax person. When they speak about their money management, it's their money manager, their advisor. And they're all in different silos. They're not collaborating together. So that's the number one issue is that when you don't have everybody coming to the table, in real life or virtually, then you're going to see conflict or issues that come up just like this Halifax state uh, right. situation. Right. The second part is you need a quarterback. You need someone on your team, either it's yourself, your significant other, or someone that you've hired to do that will arrange all this stuff that's aware of all these issues. And here's the issue in the Halifax situation. The, the person who passed away had the beneficiary on his RSP as his mother. My guess, total guess, that hasn't changed for a long time. Well, and I think it's, it's stated in the article that, that was the case. So, so Jennifer, um, yeah, it was set up before he was married. Correct. Right. So now you open up an RSP, you've been saving up for your whole life. Right. You keep the beneficiary the same, the same which was mom because you don't have a significant other. You don't have a 13-year-old daughter at the time. Yep. No one updates anything. You do your will, you live your life, you update your wills regularly, whatever time frame that may be. Yeah. Until that document, that RSP is updated, there's a problem. That's correct. There's a problem not only from a legal perspective, but from a tax perspective. Yeah. They got cut by 54%. There was, in this particular case, there was an insurance policy to cover it, but the fact that that money, that RSP designation went to somebody other than his spouse, the wife, Right? In Halifax, it attracted a 54% tax. So this is what I've learned from that conversation we had with Jennifer. Number one, focus on working as a team for your financial situation. If you're going to do it by yourself and have different professionals, then you become the quarterback and you better know these types of rules. If you become the yes. So the lawyer in general, in our experience, does not go to our clients and say to them, can you go review your beneficiaries and get a hold of Dave and Faisal and find out if your beneficiaries match this will? Right. And if not, update them, please. Okay? Hardly ever do we ever get that kind of a phone call from our clients saying, I want to make sure. Right. On the flip side, when there's a change in beneficiary or an updated document, does the advisor go and say, go talk to your lawyer and make sure that the will is updated to match? Or have they reviewed the will? Correct. Right. So now you've got two different departments or groups within your financial team handling two different problems, and that could that could cause a bit more of an issue. Yeah. And and so there's there's also a responsibility on the individual side. Correct. Okay. And so we what we always one of the key questions we ask is there any material changes in your life, right? Now that means different things to different people, but for gosh sakes, getting married. That would always be a material change. Getting divorced would be a material change. Having a child, material change in your life. And these are the kinds of things that should be triggering people to start thinking about. And, and here's a concern that I have with this case in Halifax. 
that this individual had a beneficiary designated as the parent well before the child was born. Forget about when they got married, because I don't right. have that information. So 13 years, no update of beneficiary? Right. That means there's been no conversation between the financial institution's advisor and the client about what the heck's going on in your life. Right. Whenever we hear of a change in a person's life, the one thing we ask them to do when it comes to their estate plan, or we call it the legacy bucket, is to do a beneficiary audit. Right. Get all of your information, pensions, RSPs, life insurance, your will, power of attorney, personal care, and let's review everything. Send it all to me, and our team will go through every single one, and we will look for a gap, a hole, a problem, and we'll raise that to you. Right. That does not happen out there. Right. And we all focus on how a team out there in wealth management or money management is doing on their portfolio, but if you lose 54% because of a, I call it an oversight, a lack of duty or care from whichever institution that was or the advisor, doesn't matter how much money you make in your portfolio. Yeah. You just lost 54%. Yeah, yeah. There's no recovering from that, right? And, and the impact the on the family, oh. right? We talk about talk about the experience that they've just had. It's awful, right? It's just it's terrible in every in every respect. Now uh, I'm the type of person that says if this is the issues that are out there, it's our responsibility on our team to make sure it doesn't happen to our clients. Right. It by by the legal sta standing, it's not the advisor's responsibility. Correct. They are not accountable and responsible for the legal responsibilities or the tax responsibilities of the client. Correct. But we care about our clients, so we do this work. So whose responsibility is it then? Right. It's not the lawyer's responsibility to find out what's going on in your portfolio and your beneficiaries. It's not the accountants to talk about your will and the, the tax implications of it. No one's taken the quarterback role in here. We've taken it on ourselves because we think that's our care for our client. Yeah, and I think that was what the message that when Jennifer was talking to us is, let's make sure that our clients or individuals out there listening or watching this are saying, I better have someone to take care of this situation or these types of issues, or I better know all these concerns and problems so I can be on top of it. Yeah, and it, as a minimum, um, listen, as a minimum, I would just ask, ask people to think about that material change idea. You don't have to know what questions necessarily to ask, but you should say, listen, I just gotten married. What do I need to be thinking about, right? If you ask those general questions, okay, and participate in that, you're going to, you're going to have a better outcome. But I agree with you, right? Ultimately, a quarterback, because there's so many competing elements, a quarterback becomes important. And it's, it's about more than money, right? Look at the impact of this on the family. There's a reason why we do a beneficiary audit. And I know we're running out of time here, so I really want to give this as a tip for everybody, is get all your documents, anything to do with financial, yeah. and bring them all together and make sure every single beneficiary is matching. That's right. That you, where you want that money to go is your true intentions and make sure you have a legal document, like a will, that can match what your intentions are. That's right. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is when you look at what's going on here, 
There is a reason why we do a review of our clients' estate plan every three years, their health plan every three years, their retirement plan every year, the details of all the issues every three years. We do a full valuation of their, of their entire financial situation, like an audit every three years. We'll, we won't miss this stuff then. We won't miss this stuff. Yeah, because if you do, look at the result, right? That, I mean, that's, that's terrible. So yes, the process of doing that, that audit is absolutely critical. We often talk about the expense of aging and what it looks like and um, how to plan and prepare for it. Yeah. And um, I can tell you through experience, I think you would support me on this, that most people haven't done a good job of thinking through that. Yeah, you know, when they think about, first of all, many don't even think about, as, right. uh, about aging. Right. Many don't think about some of the issues. When they think about issues, they think about the extreme end of it, meaning, long-term right. care, they're thinking about home care, the, when, you, when they can't take care of themselves. That's right, exactly. But there is a long process between uh, when you are retiring, to being retired, to aging, to then needing help. And in that between time, there's really no planning being done and there's no understanding of what costs. And there, I call it a slow buildup on sure. costs. Yep. It doesn't always happen from, I'm good today, tomorrow I need long-term care. Like it's a slow buildup, right? Yep. And so these are the kinds of things that I, I, we need to address, people have to think about and plan for because it's, you know, we talk about a health bucket and how people should have a health strategy and how assign costs to it and little things they can do in their home to be friendlier as they age. Sure. Um, these are the kind of things that we talk about. I don't think most people are actually having those conversations, so we might as well bring some experts in to talk about these, these kind of things. That's our job to educate, right? So we've got uh, Kathy Mendham, who's a BSC MBA founder, uh, senior advisor at Proactive Seniors Limited. First of all, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. All right, so that was a pretty big sort of lead-in on all this stuff we've got to kind of try to tackle. But why don't we start with getting, um, getting a bit of an idea about what are some of the different elements of aging that people you know, don't realize are going to cost money as they start to, as they start to age? Well, it's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of people are so used to our public health care system providing everything and not really recognizing that there is an expense that we are expected to bear as we get older. And so many seniors feel as if their care costs will be covered and they, they really aren't in most cases. Um, a lot of seniors want to stay at home. Most seniors want to stay at home and to do so um, requires some investment and it can require investment in changing the house, modifying the house, adding ramps or stair lifts or widening doorways, that kind of stuff. There can be some grants that can be provided for certain seniors that are in the low income bracket, but for the majority of seniors, that's an out of pocket cost. And so people need to plan and be aware for that. Uh, people expect that home care is totally covered and it is and it isn't. Um, public home care is free, which is wonderful, but you have to have a fairly high requirement of need to qualify for that care. So just like Faisal was saying, there's a lot of support that's needed in between that might not be covered by public home care. So, so Kathy, let me, let me just jump in there yeah. really quickly. Let, let's, put, let's paint a scenario for you. And I'm gonna use my personal situation. My father is in his mid to late 70s. I'm not going to say his age because he'll probably hit me if he hears this. Um, and, and so he, I, we are both noticing, him and I, both noticing that his mobility is slowing down. 
things are not the way it used to be, maybe even just two, three years ago. We were talking about traveling. He's like, I can't travel like I used to, Faisal. So I'm noticing things are changing. I'd like to sit down with him and plan for the different phases he may go through in the future and what we need to be aware of from a planning perspective. Now, you're the expert in this. When you hear that kind of a scenario, what should my father do from a planning perspective to be ready so that we can kind of get an idea of what's out there, what needs to be, what he needs to be aware of, and then what do I have to do as a loved one, and I'm also his money manager. What do I have to be aware of as a money manager when it comes to that type of stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, we call that early planning, and early planning is really important because people don't understand those costs. So the very first step when you're having that conversation with your dad or uh, seniors are having it with their family is to talk about their goals and wishes because it all comes down to goals and wishes. What do they want from their life? What do they want from their experience of aging? And then you can plan accordingly and look at what the options are and weigh out the costs of different options and figure out what fits into your budget. So by knowing, for example, with your dad, if he wants to continue to travel, then that's a goal that you want to help support him in. How can you do that? What kind of mobility supports? What kind of um, therapy might help? What kind of um, plans could be in place to help him? If he chooses not to travel anymore, if he's perfectly happy to say, you know what? It's not easy anymore. I don't enjoy it anymore. My goal is to stay home and participate in a club or do an activity that I like or still spend time fishing or walking or whatever. So you want to start with those goals and wishes. And then from the goals and wishes, you need to identify what the limitations are or are likely to be. And then what are the solutions to those limitations? What kind of programs or services or supports or therapies can be put into place to address those limitations? so that the senior can still meet their goals and wishes. So Kathy, again, uh, that's fantastic. The, the early stage planning is excellent. What you just outlined for me is fantastic. And I'm telling you inside, feeling a little bit overwhelmed. What programs are there? What are the costs? What do we really need? What don't we need? How do we address those issues? Because I'm fortunate enough to be doing what I do for a living and having access to people like you, or I can, I can you know, call on you to come on the show and tell me what to do. But when, when people are feeling this kind of, uh, feeling overwhelmed, mm -hmm. what do, what's the next stage? Do, do they hire you? Do they bring you on board and say, okay, let's plan this? Or, or what, do the, what do they do? Well, that's great. Yes, we are the kind of people that are able to help people know what those services and supports are. So the challenge that families have is they don't know what help to look for because yeah. they don't know what help they need and they don't know what help is available. So it's a really big muddle and, and super overwhelming. So we come in and we help to identify what those issues are. What are those risks or red flags or challenges? And then we can share what are the resources and programs and services to address those challenges. Some are through the government and they're free. Some are through Alberta Health Services and you just need to make sure you get on the list in time. And some are through private services. But it's all siloed information and it is truly very hard to find. So a service like us can come in and, and do that quickly. We know what's out there. We know who's great at what they, need, they do and who to bring on board. But if families can't afford to have a, an agency like us provide that advice, then you need time and time to do that research yourself and time to look into those services and programs because it is hard information to find. And if you're trying to do it in an urgent situation, you're going to end up paying a lot more money than if you had time to figure out what's out there, what do I qualify for, what don't I qualify for, 
what can my family support me with? So you need to plan ahead early and you need to have those discussions early. You know, Faisal, we talk about a quarterback and Kathy, we often talk about somebody to quarterback all these things because I think that comment is right, right? There's just, there's so many diverse areas you can go. Sometimes you don't even know where to start speaking about feeling overwhelmed, right? Um, so Kathy, as part of this, this pre-planning, you know, the expense of things we're not thinking about, and I'm not trying to pin you on a number, but I'd like to get a sense of a range if a family wanted to engage your services to try to help get an idea of what this is going to cost through these different phases. What, what should they be thinking about? Yeah, no, I don't mind answering that at all. We charge $1,500 and we're usually working with a family for about three months. What we do is we identify what the goals and wishes are and then what all those um, limitations are and, and a plan to address those limitations. And then we work through that plan over the course of time. And sometimes it's, you know, steps that we can help them do and facilitate. Sometimes it's things the family can take on, but we really want to make sure that everyone knows what the end game is, what we're working towards, and what the tasks are to get all the pieces in place. And it's much like doing a financial plan or an estate plan. We want to look at all the different categories from health and wellness and managing safely in the home and wills and personal directives. So we go through a really comprehensive list of um, things to check and then we end up with a unique list of problems and then we try and solve those problems so that's our approach mm -hmm. and it's certainly an approach families can do on their own but um, you know we do it all the time and we know we know what the services are that are out there and can get that done really quickly. Kathy just one more follow-up question I think Faisal's got a question Faisal's dad's in a different position than my mom my mom's in a long-term care facility so um, thinking about your services at what point do you uh, do you engage and what point do you not engage so are, do you guys have a, a, a way to tackle uh, my mom who has uh, dementia in a long-term care facility and still work on a, sort of the family goals and objectives and what the steps might be for the next levels of care? Yeah, we come in at any stage. I mean, it's always better to start having these conversations earlier so people can be more prepared. But a lot of the phone calls we get are families in that long-term care stage, making sure that all the pieces are in order at the end of life, understanding what their end of life options are, and understanding how to optimize care in that kind of setting. Because long-term care, you know, it provides a great service, but it doesn't necessarily check all the boxes in terms of what a family wants for their loved one. So we can provide lots of advice on how to optimize that and how to make, um, you know, how to have conversations with the care team, how to just make that experience yeah. as good as possible. So anytime is fine, but earlier is always better. <laughs> you know, Dave, a lot of people say, what's the cost and so forth. And, and Kathy was talking about the $1,500 over three months. What I base, But what I basically say is, for that amount of money to have a plan put together, just the plan, will empower you to make decisions that are not irrational or, or they're too emotional mm. at the time you need to make them. And so what I find is a lot of our clients who are taking care of their aging parents are making quick decisions so fast and they're not looking at everything and then it's not only a cost to them, but it's emotionally draining for them where it takes them yeah. away from all the experiences they want to have in their retirement. Exactly. Uh, and so think of that as it's an investment, not a cost, because now you're empowering yourself to, to, to have a better life for yourself. Kathy, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pr a pleasure. And the time you've been allocated, I think you've shed a lot of light on this. We've been joined by Kathy Mendham. Uh, she's got an MBA. She's a founder 
and Senior Advisor at Proactive Seniors Limited. What can your money do for you in retirement? Okay, I'm interested on that. What? What? What, <laughs> what do you think people are thinking about? When we, when we, when I, when I was thinking about that little throw to the next segment, yeah. um, when I said it, I thought people might be thinking about, well, what am I going to invest in next? Or, yeah. you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. That is not what I want to talk about. Okay. I want to talk about what your money can do for you. What is the experience that it can create, buy for you, allow you to have? Right? That's the value of money to me. And um, Faisal, I'm going to throw this thought out. But I think people get, get lost in the idea of having money. Right? However much you have, right? that money is going to do something for you and for your family. Right? And how much are you thinking about what that experience is that you're going to have with that money? And I don't think people think of it in those terms. Right? We go out and, as an example, we buy a product. I buy a new car. Hmm. Are you buying a new car or are you buying some experience? Right? Because it's, it's emotional, isn't it? You're, you're more interested in the color of your car than you are on how the engine necessarily works. Right? I'm buying a trip to go somewhere. Really? Is that what you're buying? Or are you buying the experience of what you're going to have when you're there? Right? The people you're going to meet, the food you're going to eat. This is the, this is the concept I want to try to help people develop. Right? Because if you can, from an investment perspective, if people can explain to us <clears throat> what their money is going to do for them and their family, doesn't that help us? Oh. craft a plan oh and a god. strategy oh my god right and give connection to that yeah that's that's a that's a big help for us because it's not just an investment portfolio right it is the intrinsics within what you're going to be doing it and what you're going to be doing with the money what does it mean to you because we ask this question what does money mean to you right and sometimes i get security mm -hmm. i just need to know i have a lot of money so I don't have to worry or experience the things that I experienced in my past. Right. Okay. So security is one level of what money can provide you. Yep. But that security is also experiences within that. Sure. I do not want to experience whatever I have in my past. So more money gives me the security to know that I can have what experience. And that's a really good one because people talk about not just the sum total money, but many people will talk about that, that emergency fund. Yeah. I want to keep it in cash, right? But cash isn't paying me anything. Well, what's the experience you want to have? Right? Is that money designed to give you growth? Is that the experience you're having? Or <clears throat> is that capital designed to provide the security blanket you know to sleep at night so that things start moving around? And, and so this is, my, this is my point on this segment. Um, <clears throat> we talk about and I've been talking about this for a long time, so I've been pushing on this particular idea, and it's evolving as we think about it. It's evolving from just experience to achievable experiences. That's right. Okay? And I, I want to use an example, just a personal example, and sort of maybe this was the, sort of the genesis of it. And you know me, I'm a bit of a nerd, a bit of a geek about this stuff, and uh, my family and I were going to go on a vacation uh, pre-pandemic, and um, I've always had a fascination with castles, so I wanted to rent a castle. And I rented a castle. Now, when I say that, I bet people listening to this are going, oh, my God, that must be you got lots of money, expensive. Mr. Popovich. Right. That's crazy expensive. Yeah. The answer is it wasn't. And I'll tell you how much it cost us at the end of the day. But I started with this idea of the experience I wanted to have. And then I went out and, and seek ways to do that. Right? Now, 
I got to tell you, my budget didn't permit me to rent Buckingham Palace. Oh. Couldn't have that particular. A couple experience. of dollars short of that one, eh? Correct. <laughs> Correct. But this is the experience I had. Okay, this is the most memorable part of this trip. I was like, uh, our daughters are about the same age. Um, probably going back about four years ago, so they're pretty. They're pretty young, but they're old enough to know what's going on. So we are out on a day trip to see a, 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 sh a different chateau. We were in um, southern France, and uh, and one of my girls looks at me and says, "Dad, I'm I'm tired. Can we go back to our castle?" What? <laughs> I thought, oh, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Right. That was the experience that that I paid for. Now, again, again, I don't have the budget to rent Buckingham Palace. So when I started looking around, the the cost, just to put in perspective, of the accommodations, we rented a 13th century castle, my brother and I. This castle had its own moat, it had its own pool, it had two complete um, units, like two bedroom units inside this castle that we rented a whole place. Yeah, yeah. It was $2,300 Canadian each for the week. For the common. I kid you not. I kid you not. And I have got these amazing, this amazing experience. And so, so this is the genesis of the idea. I'm not boasting about that experience. I'm just sharing with you sort of the, the passion of what actually happened when I started to think about not a trip, but I thought about an experience, an experience that I thought, ooh, that's going to be crazy expensive. Okay? And I'm not saying that 2300 bucks for accommodations in a week is not inexpensive, but it was achievable. achievable. And even if I had to sacrifice something else, um, that year to accomplish that. That is not out of the realm of possibility for people, right? And so this notion of achievable experience. But Dave, $2,300 is like an all-inclusive to Mexico. No, agreed. But we so had to get just, there. We had to fly there, and so it but, wasn't. But just, just let's compare and contrast right. there. $2,300, that is achievable. Of course it's achievable. And it's an experience <clears throat> that you wanted for the memories you wanted to create. Right. That's what money does. That's what money's for, isn't it? You think I'll ever forget, Dad? Can we go back to our castle? Do you think they will ever forget? No. Don't There's be. pictures on the wall because of that. That's right. Similar experience I had. I'm a Ultimate Fighting Championship fan. Yep. Not a huge fan, but enough to go to one of these events. My best friend and I said, buddy, I want to take you on a trip. Let's go to Anaheim. This is, of course, pre-pandemic. And I'll make it really quick. He was all looking at how much are these hotels going to cost, and you know he's trying to do all these different cost-benefit analysis. Like he spent, I think he spent more time on that than he did on his retirement plan. <laughs> okay, and so he's looking at all these things. He's like, I only have X number of dollars to sit in that in that stadium to watch, but the seats are so high. I'm like, don't worry. Right. We'll figure this out. For the same price as going to the moat or to the, the castle. Yep. We were able to sit front row. Right. We were able to go behind the scenes, get into the, the ring after the fights were over, wear the championship belt, right. hang out with the fighters, have all the drinks we wanted to drink, eat all the food we wanted to eat, <laughs> and go to the press conferences. Right. And he's like, how? I go, it's achievable. Right. If you really want to look into it and get that stuff done, and right. that's the experience, the memory I'll have with my best friend, forever. Right. Forever. That's the experience that I wanted to have, that he wanted to have. He just couldn't get his head wrapped around that. It, it was all achievable if we just do some digging and looking into it. That's right. And, and when I say achievable, you know, the, the adding, experience has been something I've been focused on for a long time. Um, adding the word achievable changed it in my opinion. Yeah. Right? Because it's, it's now, it's not saying it's inexpensive, right? 
It's not saying it's it's normal. It could be out there, right? That kind of one-off thing that you're going to do. doesn't mean I'm renting a castle every weekend, right? Yeah. Or you're going to a fight every weekend in L.A., right? Uh, it may mean that something else has to be given up. But the question is, it now brings context and perspective to what the money can do. I love how you said, start with what experience you want to have and work your way backwards to how you can make that achievable. Yep. Don't start with the the, the what you can want to where you want to go first. Right. Go what kind of experience, and then that will dictate where you're going to go, how you're going to do it, I think and, so. and the budget will fit. And we talk about this all the time. We talk about the 31 things that you want to do. Oh yeah. Right. And it's it's dare to dream, dare to dream, and then work backwards from that. And and there will be some achievable experience or version of it that you can have. Right. And that's. That's why you have money. I would love if we started up our program on that for not only our clients, but for the public. 100%. Because we do this for our clients. Yep. But it'd be nice to see if we could do this for, the, for the everybody else to show I, them how achievable their, their ideas can, can be. That's right. Okay. Um, lifestyle, we, we talk about more. Why do we call it more than money? It's because it's about those experiences, right? Yeah. Now, whether people articulate it the way we've just done it, I don't know. But people feel that. Right, and so what we do in, in the practice, and what we talk about at the, our seminar, is about how to how to structure so that you can have those achievable experiences and the memories for a lifetime. And we'll be talking about that on Tuesday, July thirteenth, seven p.m. live online. You need to register for this, so go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. As always, we want to thank you very much for joining Faisal and myself, Dave. Uh, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.